case is, I'm going to botch this, sorry, Chiara Donna versus um, the Department of Veterans Affairs. Um, Mr. Tobin, when you're ready. And can you correct me on your client's last name? <laughs> Thank you, Robert. You're pretty close. Sheridano. Like Sher. Thank you. Morning, Your Honors. May it please the court, uh, I've reserved five minutes for rebuttal. Uh, I'm here today on behalf of Ms. Sheridano, who is a nurse practitioner, uh, and she is appealing the denial of her whistleblower claim. Uh, she previously, she'd worked for the VA literally days short of her two-year probation ending, um, and for over a year, she was a successful nurse practitioner in California. She moved to Florida, um, and she chose to work in orthopedics, something she had no experience in, she had never done before. Um, she worked at a basically a satellite facility in Lee County, the Lee County uh, Medical Facility, which is a satellite uh, facility of the Bay Pines VA Hospital in Tampa Bay, about two and a half hours away. Um, and the main thrust of her appeal, um, as you see in the briefs, is the failure of the administrative judge to consider and rope into the analysis uh, of the decision to deny her appeal the merit system principles, which are principles that apply to all federal employees. Um, Contrary to the agency's position, we're not re-arguing facts here. What we are doing is taking facts that are established, that everyone basically stipulates to, um, and applying those facts to a legal analysis of the uh, merit system principles. Um, those are found in uh, 5 U.S.C. 2301B. Um, and there's basically nine different principles. Yeah. I, I, let me be completely honest. I do not understand this argument at all. This is a whistleblower appeal, right? Yes, Your Honor. And so they, she was removed, which is a personnel action. She established that she made a disclosure that was a contributing factor. And then the agency, according to the administrative judge, met its burden of proving by clear and convincing evidence that it would have taken this action otherwise. What do the merit sensible systems principles have to do with whether or not the agency would have taken this removal action? The primary one is training, adequate training, and that gets in, it really affects the entire, much of the case, or the appeal, in the sense that you're talking about an individual that had no prior orthopedic... I, I, I get this, but I don't understand the connection. Even if we agree with you that she didn't get adequate training, the agency still set forth facts showing why they removed her. But those because facts... she wasn't performing her duties... She had all kinds of problems. You know, this is a very – and the administrative judge wrote an incredibly detailed, exhaustive decision here. It's one of the, the lengthier decisions I've seen supporting this. And he set forth – or she set forth, I forget which it is – numerous reasons why the agency met its burden. Uh, even if the agency didn't train her properly, that's not a defense. In it. I mean, you're not – this is not a removal action. You're not defending against her removal – because she didn't have a right to appeal her removal. If this was a removal, maybe you could have shown as an affirmative defense that she wasn't trained properly. But why these things, I mean, try one more time to explain to me how failing to train her impacted the agency's proof that it would have removed her 
for all the problems it demonstrated. Well, I think the merit system principles give you context and uh, environment in which that training, how it should occur. And the VA has set up what's called, and you'll see it's, it's ad nauseum in the brief, the FPPEs, the uh, Focused Professional Evaluations, essentially. Um, and those are supposed to be done at, at the beginning of a, an employee's uh, tenure or employment. Uh, and ultimately, the, the, the basis is to give them feedback. Here's what's wrong. Here's what you're not doing right. Um, and as Dr. Hong, the chief of surgery, had testified to, yes, they get the FPPE. It is a helpful tool. And they sign off on it at the beginning. The employee does. Ms. Sheridano did. Um, and the, they did five FPPs on right, her. What, what does any of that have to do with the legal challenge you're raising under the Whistleblower Protection Act? Because the merit system principles still have – this court has a jurisdiction, and they do apply – to a whistleblower act. Uh, it's 2301, the, the uh, 2302, uh, right next to it, same same part, dealing with the same employees. So, can, can you just say, let's assume you're right, that they, they violated these merit systems principles by not giving her proper training. What's the legal basis, given that, to reverse the board's finding that the agency showed by clear and convincing evidence that it would have removed her even with knowledge of her disclosure? Because the entire training was basically a sham. And again, I'm not trying to get into the argument of the facts, but, uh, you know, they're basically moving to remove her within days of her blowing the whistle. And they failed to give her an FPPE until they are already removed her from care seven I, months later. Isn't your problem here? You're not addressing the right thing. The agency gave a number of reasons why it would have removed her. The board found by clear and convincing evidence that those reasons were correct and supported her removal. You have not once mentioned one of those reasons and why the agency and the board were incorrect in finding those reasons were sufficient. Well, again, I, 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 it's, it's the context of the training. And if, if they're not providing proper... You, okay. Yes, sir. We get your argument on the training. Let's just assume we disagree. Do you have anything else in this case? Uh, we have... Uh... Again, it, it bleeds into the FPPEs, but it's a sham. It was a sham uh, process. The PSP, the information it's considering, she yeah, didn't even yeah, see these. For these, analogous case to support your arguments you're making to us here today. I'm sorry, can you say you that? Have any good analogous case you could point us to to support uh, the arguments you're making here today? The cases generally that have applied it are dealing with uh, federal employees because they apply, but those are. Um, adverse action cases, also under Chapter 3. Where they raise it as a defense. Um, they raise it as a claim, I believe. Is This is, yeah, this is... That claim's not available this, to you here, right? This is not an appeal of an adverse action. No, it's not, but it's under the same chapter. I don't have a case that is uh, on point. I don't know what you mean when it's under the same chapter. Chapter 3 deals with empl federal employees. And right, but I mean, adverse actions are under Chapter 75. Whistleblower appeals are, um, the IRA appeals are what, 1221? I mean, they're not the same parts of the statute. They're different parts of the statute. They're it's, both in Title Five. But I think they're both Part Three. Is my I don't know what you're saying when you refer to three. Well, adverse three is actions are five USC 70 Chapter 75. Whistleblower appeals are five USC 1221 or something like that. I don't know where the three comes from, unless it's just a subpart of chapter of Title V. 
But they're not the same chapters. There's a whistleblower appeal, and there's an adverse action appeal. And then there's also a different, under Chapter 43, performance appeals, which if she'd been an employee, maybe that's the route they took. They didn't have to go any of these routes because she was a probationary employee, and they didn't have to give her any of that due process. So she has to meet her burden under the whistleblower statute, which requires she now show why the board's decision that the agency would have removed her and prove that by clear and convincing evidence, why that factual decision is not supported by substantial evidence. You have not made one argument about why the board's decision is not supported by substantial evidence. Well, there's the cat's paw argument. It's a sham proceeding. The board proceeding was a sham. And the fact that even the judge herself notes in footnote 48 how heavily they relied upon these FPPEs. She didn't see these FPPEs until the board did, except for the one. They had five FPPEs against her, critiquing her, all negative. None of them were shared with her until, except for one, until the board, until they went to the board, and then she was given copies. First time she's ever seen them. That's a sham. Why is that a sham? I mean, there might have been some procedural problems there, but are you, I mean, the board found those reports to be truthful and not a sham. So you have to explain why those reports are just incorrect. The fact that they never shared them with her, the fact that Mark Rosa is the HR director. Are you saying that we're created after the fact that they're somehow, you know, illegitimate, or is it just the fact that they didn't follow what you think is the right procedures in sharing with them? I think they're illegitimate. Why? Do you think that they created them after the fact to support the removal? There's no evidence for that in the record, right? Well, there's evidence that they, from the get-go in September, had already decided we need to start removing her. These FPPEs came out. That's pretty understandable, isn't it? If they think she's not performing well and her probation period is coming up, they've got to take action. Otherwise, it turns into a federal employee and it becomes much more difficult. I understand that, Your Honor. Can I ask you this? We've been talking about what I think are called the car factors. The board found by clear and convincing evidence applying the car factors that the agency would have removed your client regardless of any other concerns you've raised, right? The board found that, correct? Yes. And I don't see that you have challenged those findings. Is that right? No, we're not re-arguing those facts. We're arguing the context of the merit system principles. So as the case comes to us, we have to accept as true that it's been determined by clear and convincing evidence that the same agency action would have been taken regardless of your arguments to us, correct? No, in the sense, well, again, I think if you look at the judge's order, she talks about how much the FPPEs influenced or how much they were intertwined with the decision to remove her. You're into your rebuttal time. Do you want to save it? I'll save it, yes. Thank you. Ms. Kirchner. May it please the court. This is indeed a very narrow case, and the court should affirm because there is substantial evidence supporting all of the findings of the board in this case that the Veterans Administration would have taken the very same personnel actions in the absence of her September 2014 protective disclosure. And as the court points out, what's at issue here is the application of the 
the car factors. Uh, but that's not really being challenged. The um, judge made it. Can I ask you just, I know you don't agree that these merit systems principles were violated, but just for purposes of the hypothetical, let's just assume they were. Are you aware of any legal authority in a whistleblower case that that would have any relevance? Um, No, I'm not. But if we look at this particular case here, when the judge applied the car factors, he paid careful attention to the individuals involved. And for example, Dr. Jones, who was involved in the training. So you have in the decision very careful findings as to whether Dr. Jones had uh, a motivation, the strength of his motivation, or whether he had any motivation. And there the judge makes particular findings about training and the training that Dr. Jones gave to Ms. Sharadona. And he looks at the whole circumstances. And looking at the whole circumstances, he makes the, the ultimate finding that the agency would have taken the same personnel action in the absence of the protected disclosure. But he he does realize that Dr. Jones is involved in the training, and he looks at his behavior in terms of whether he has a motivation. So I think that there is, in the circumstances of this case, training is one thing that the judge properly looked at. But it's not a, a case about whether she was given the proper training. That's not the issue here. He looked at, the judge looked at training in assessing motivation. Um, and also with respect to core factor two, the uh, judge looked at the nature of the disclosure itself. And here uh, it was a simple disclosure about uh, Dr. Jones was not aware you had to throw out these <coughs> medicine vials and uh, once he was told that you have to throw them out, then he complied. And these were multi-dose vials, which in the private sector you could have used twice, but not at the VA. Uh, with regard to the the uh, FPPE, the Focused Professional Practice Evaluation, I just want to make a couple points. First of all, that's required. You have to have a, if you have clinical privileges, which is what she had in this new job, then you have to have a FPPE, and that's in the national guidance, and the appendix site would be 732. So here she had to have an FPPE, and you have very, very detailed findings in the opinion, which I can go through if you see any need. Uh, But, okay, so... Just to be clear, it, it is required that you have an FPPE. And then it's also required for a, probate, for a probationary employee that you go in front of a professional standards board. And that's uh, also a matter of national guidance. And the site for that would be at 734 in the appendix where it sets out that you have to go before a professional standards board before a decision is made on whether you are retained as a VA employee. Um, if the court has uh, if, no further questions. If we, if we were to, if, part of the situation here seems to be, I'm not sure there's legal authority for anything that Ms. Sheridana is arguing. Um, 
if that were to be our finding, uh, should we consider dismissing this appeal or would it still be an affirmance? I think it's an affirmance. Uh, he's, he's, the court has jurisdiction. I'm not aware of a case where the court would uh, uh, dismiss just because they thought the arguments were meritless. It is within your jurisdiction, so I think and it leads to an affirmance. Just one other quick question. Uh, they talk about transfer in the brief that the board or the agency should have considered transferring Ms. Sharagana. The, the, given the findings that were made in the FPPs and by the board, uh, PSB I think it was, um, was transfer an option or did she have to be terminated? Uh, she had to be terminated. Uh, but to be more specific, what she was asking for was essentially a reassignment to stay within the Bay, Bay Pine system and to move to another clinical position. Uh, you couldn't move her to another clinical position. Based on those and, findings. Uh, yes, and the appendix site for that would be 649. That's an email from Dr. Bauman, who was the uh, chief of orthopedics and the surgeon involved. Thank you. Mr. Seven, you have about four minutes left. Thank you, Your Honor. Uh, again, the FPPEs, as counsel has pointed out, are required. Um, she's supposed to see them in a timely manner. The first F, actually all of them covered a period of July to October. She didn't see the first one until February. Um, and again, the merit system principles specifically say uh, Employees should be retained on the basis of their adequacy of performance. Inadequate performance should be corrected. If she's not being given any kind of feedback, which the FPPEs are, substantial feedback, again, that's why the PSB uh, reviewed them. That's why the judge mentioned what she mentioned as to how intertwined they were with the decision. Um, then it's, it's, it's failing these principles. She's not being trained properly. She's not being provided uh, the resources that the uh, agency itself utilizes to train personnel. Um, and again, th these are documents now that the, uh, without any feedback from her, any input from her with the FPPEs, because she's not seeing four out of five of them until she goes to the board, um, it taints the process. It's, uh, th the board is reviewing something that is, is a sham in the, in the sense that uh, she was never able to share in it and share in that process. She didn't sign off on those. Uh, so it taints the entire process. And we, we mentioned the cat's paw uh, theory as far as the, uh, what the PSB was relying upon. Um, and the agency in its brief has said that there's no published opinion where this court has adopted uh, the cat's paw uh, outside of a discrimination case, well, wouldn't be dealing with a discrimination case. Outside of a discrimination case, uh, this court, however, did in that it rejected, this court rejected the cat's paw theory, citing the Howard case for that. Actually, the court rejected the cat's paw theory, not necessarily applying to the scenario, but just on the facts in those, that case, that the facts themselves did not support uh, utilizing a cat's paw. So, again, um, as far as a reassignment, you're not implying that you have case law that supports using cat's paw in the whistleblower context, are you? No, this court has considered it, but it, it was not in a published opinion. 
Honestly, I don't understand how it comes in anyway. It's already really covered in the car factors where you look at the agency deciding official's motivation and see if that was valid or not. I mean, that's kind of the point of the cat's paws theory is to make sure that the deciding official isn't tainted by the lower, you know, the proposing official. But again, if they're reviewing FPPEs, and they did with the car factors. I mean, they looked at this information. The FPPEs contained a lot of the same information that they were considering. But you had an opportunity to show that those FPPEs were invalid at the hearing. Well, and she raised it. Well, she did raise it, and she questioned it. Whatever the VA board is called didn't find them invalid, and the administrative judge here didn't find them invalid. So you would just lose on the facts even if we accepted the cat's paw theory, wouldn't you? Again, I think they're all related, though. They're all intertwined, and even the judge said that herself. Do you have a final thought? As far as the transfers go, she would have gone anywhere. She didn't have to stay in Bay Pines. She was already successful at a California facility. Thank you. Case is submitted.